Daniel Ek confirms his bid for Arsenal has been rejected by the Cronkies and Leicester City win the first FA Cup in their history. All of that, plus your questions to come on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be discussing Daniel X's statement released on Saturday evening. We're also going to be touching on the FA Cup final triumph that saw Leicester City win the trophy for the first time in their history. Are we envious? Yes, we bloody are. Um, not the fact that they've just won the FA Cup because we've done it over and over again. But there are other elements that can make an Arsenal fan feel envious right now about Leicester City. And we'll come on to discuss those in a little bit. Let's say a big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat. Hope you're all well. Um, hope everybody's had a good weekend so far. Of course, a uh, few hours left of it. So make sure you make the most of it. Not that the London weather is any good and that you can do anything in it. It is pissing down with rain uh, as it was for most of yesterday evening as well. So uh, not been great in that sense, but I've had a weekend off. So for me, it's been quite nice. I've chilled out. I've relaxed. I've spent some time uh, with my boy that I probably wouldn't normally get to spend with him at a weekend. So yeah, uh, it's been a pretty decent weekend and watching Chelsea uh, sort of uh, crying at the back end of an FA Cup final as well always helps. Right, but let's begin uh, by talking about the Arsenal-related news. And that big news coming out of, um, or coming directly actually from Daniel Ek, uh, is that he has made a bid for Arsenal. There's been a lot of talk over the last week or so from Arsenal fans who are a little bit sceptical of Daniel Ek as well. And, and I get that. You know, he is an unknown quantity as well. How many of us can put our hands on our hearts and say that we'd heard of him, um, you know, prior uh, to, prior to this link with Arsenal, I've got to be honest that I'm a, I'm a Spotify user. I use it probably every single day, uh, but I didn't know who the CEO was. I didn't know who the founder was. I've got to be bloody honest. Um, so Daniel Wick has kind of come into the picture with regards to the Arsenal ownership and rightly so. There's been some skepticism around him. You know, is he really going to do what he says he's going to do? Is he really as serious uh, as he claims to be about potentially taking over the club? I say that the talk had been doing the rounds over the last week or so because we heard from Daniel Ek not too long ago that he was going to make an offer, that he was going to launch a bid. And there has been radio silence, radio silence across the board with regards to Daniel Ek's interest in Arsenal. We heard him speak about it. We heard Thierry Henry speak about it during a Monday night football appearance where he talked about the guy's plans and he talked about how he likes him and he talked about that the fact that he's genuine and genuinely interested. We thought nothing was going on behind the scenes, but Daniel Ek has told us otherwise. Daniel Ek himself took to social media uh, on Saturday, as I say, at 10 past 8 p.m. Um, to, to release this statement. And he said, 
Inaccurate reports emerged today saying I have not made a bid for Arsenal Football Club. I think it's important to correct the record. This week, an offer was made to both Josh Kroenke and their bankers that included fan ownership, representation on the board and a golden share for the supporters. They replied that they don't need the money. I respect their decision, but remain interested and available should that situation ever change. We also understand that the bid made by Daniel Ek was around about 1.8 million. That's what the reports are telling us. Not million, billion, I should say. 1.8 billion pounds is it is said to be the value of Daniel Ek's offer. Now, look, let's let's be honest, okay? Don't melt down about it because this was the first offer. And often in negotiations, particularly in negotiations of this size, of this value, you're going to have to go back to the table multiple times to get a deal over the line. We've also talked about the fact that the Cronkies do not need to sell. They are richer than Daniel Ek. Daniel Ek is not going to bully the Cronkies into selling purely based on finance. And this is why we as a fan base have to continue to keep the momentum on the Cronkies, keep the spotlight shining on their passive ownership, the ownership that has seen so many of us uh, frustrated over the years. We as fans have a duty to keep that spotlight on KSE, to keep applying the pressure on KSE. And only then may they think about it, may they think twice about, you know, the, the idea of selling the club. Look, Daniel Ek, if you want the club, mate, you were never going to get it for £1.8 billion. Let's be honest. And I think Daniel Ek is way too smart, way too clever, way too business savvy to have believed that that initial offer was going to be accepted. I think he knows that this is going to be a long road. He said that in his initial sort of interviews when quizzed about the subject. He knows that if he is going to, convince KSE to part ways with Arsenal Football Club, he is going to have to graft. He is absolutely going to have to graft. So am I disheartened by it? Well, a little bit, because in an ideal world, I'd have loved Daniel Ek to say I've made a bid and it's been accepted. But the reality was that this is business and it was never going to be plain sailing. It was never going to be straightforward. And of course, the Cronkies. Uh, as I say, they're in a much more powerful position than Daniel Ek as an individual from a financial standpoint. So how do you bully them? It's, it's tough. It's not easy. Um, but you can keep applying pressure. And if the fans keep applying pressure from the other direction, then you never know. You never know. But it's got to a point now where the Cronkies are probably a little bit more rattled than they've ever been. Because there's never been this public interest from opposition. Um, you know, yeah, there was there was Usmanov and, and all of that was kind of going on when Usmanov had a share of the club and, and all of that. But we before the Cronkies had full ownership of Arsenal Football Club, naturally there wasn't as much scrutiny on their every single move because you looked at it and you went, well, they don't own the whole football club. So why would they invest X amount on players. Why would they put from their own pocket when they don't own the entire football club? But since taking full control, now they are accountable and they are solely accountable 
for everything. And I wonder if we're going to see them invest this summer. I don't know. Um, you know, obviously, we'd like to see them invest and we'd like to see the team improve. They're making all the right noises, but they always do that. So don't get carried away one way or the other. Don't get carried away with Daniel X statement. Don't take it as though there won't be a follow-up offer and that there will never be another offer and that they will never sell. And equally, don't get carried away when the Cronkies are seemingly promising the world when um, when uh, when it comes to the transfer market because they've let us down in the past. So remain level-headed, remain calm about this. As I say, if we're going to get them out, it's going to be a long road. That road is is a road we're already on, but we need to stay on it. We need to stay focused, stay on the straight and narrow, and only then um, can we one day hope to have put enough pressure on them and a combination of that pressure along with Daniel X, uh, serious bid may one day <laughs> lead to them selling the club. But as I say, don't don't get carried away either way on this one. Uh, Brad Richardson says, in your opinion, Harry, why would they hold on to Arsenal now that ESL is dead? I think as long as they're making something or as long as the club is paying for itself, I think actually as a club, uh, as a consortium or as a company that KSER who own a number of sport franchises around the world. And I use the term franchises because that's what they use in the States. And that's, I'm sure, how the Kroenke see Arsenal as a franchise. I think the ESL would have been massive for them. I think that they would have been uh, well into the idea of the ESL because it would have meant a guaranteed income, a guaranteed income like they've never seen before. And they would have been happy to just let the club uh, you know, build up money, pay themselves dividends, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that would have been the ideal scenario for them. Now that that's collapsed, and I'm glad it's collapsed for a number of reasons, not just because of the fact that I didn't like the concept and I thought the idea was shit and it was going to ruin football as we knew it, but because it's shone the light on KSC again. And it's it's the one thing over the last decade that has united us as Arsenal fans and got us together in terms of sort of grouping up and, and, and going after the real culprits here, the real problem at Arsenal Football Club. Not the only problem, but the root problem. And that's what KSE are. So I'm glad that, you know, it's brought everybody together. I, I think they would hold on to Arsenal though, Brad, because I think they will probably still feel that they're capable of turning this around. And I go back to the point I was making earlier about them having control of a number of other franchises, if you like. How does it make them look if they if they give up on one and sell it? Because it's the, because the team is, is at a low point. They're not doing very well. If they sell it, they're kind of proving everybody, right? And this is the problem. You know, KSE are a business. They're a company. They care how they're viewed. I know their view from the Arsenal sort of fan base is, is obviously not positive. But they don't want to be seen to be pushovers and they don't want to be seen to sell the football club for less than what they value it at. They want to be seen if they are going to sell the football club, if they are going to get out, they want to be seen to be making profit because as business people, they don't want to give that impression out to the rest of the world. And, and, and you know, that's business. You know, I get it. Like, 
but what I would say is, you know, nothing is impossible. And hopefully, one way or the other, we can um, we can get them out eventually. Nishith asks if they're hardballing for more money. I'd imagine. Um, I'd imagine so. Um, as I said, how many times have you been into a high-value negotiation and walked away after the first offer with a deal signed, sealed, delivered? Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. These things take time. These t- things take effort. Um, and you, you almost have to slowly grind them down, uh, you know, over a period of time. That's how a lot of these deals are eventually done. So, yeah, just, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we, we know that an offer went in. Um, I think the most striking part of that statement from Daniel Eck is where he, he says that they said they don't need the money. And we knew that we know they don't need the money. And that's why a lot of people have been skeptical about whether or not Daniel Eck is able to get something like this done. Because as, as I keep saying, KSE financially are a much more powerful outfit than he is. So, um, let's see. Let's see what happens. But yeah, um, so Daniel Eck made a bid, hasn't been accepted, and we move on. And hopefully there's another one to come sooner rather than later. Let's move on to talk about the FA Cup final. Of course, it's a competition that we know all about. 14-time winners, record that is. That's a record 14 times. Arsenal are the kings of the FA Cup, but our trophy is out on loan somewhere else. And thankfully, it's not 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 in London, <laughs> not to one of our London rivals. Leicester City won their first FA Cup ever, um, which was massive. And I'm going to lead on before we talk a little bit about the game. I'm going to lead into it with the ownership point, because a lot of people, including myself, were looking at Leicester City's owners, uh, Leicester City's owner yesterday and 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 quite envious of that, quite envious of the relationship that he so clearly shares with not just Brendan Rodgers, but the players as well on an individual level. I think, you know, first of all, let's focus a little bit on that relationship. Obviously, right, there is, there is something because of the fact that what happened at the King Power happened. And I'm talking about the sad, tragic accident where their owner, Kunvishai, was killed in a helicopter crash, leaving the stadium. That brings a lot of grief and a lot of sadness, but it also created a unity and a bond between the owners, the fans and the players. That was probably already there, but it's been in, it's been strengthened by that. And I'm not saying that any of them would have wanted it to happen or that it is a good thing in any way, shape or form. Of course, it's not. It was a really sad um, and tragic accident. But it's brought Leicester City closer together as a football club, I feel. And, and in all the elements, so the fans, the players, the, the, the ownership, they're all one. And you could see that. You could really see that in their celebrations yesterday. And that's what I'm envious about. You know, I'm envious at the fact that they do share that relationship. Kasper Schmeichel literally went off of the pitch to go and collect the current Leicester City owner and bring him onto the pitch to celebrate with the teams. 
Can you imagine Granny Xhaka climbing into the stands or, or making every effort to go and find bloody Stan Kroenke somewhere? First of all, you probably wouldn't find Stan Kroenke because the likelihood of him being there uh, would be very small. But as I say, that just highlights it. You know, you saw him uh, share embraces with Iosi Perez, with Jamie Vardy, with Wes Morgan, with a number of players because there really is that feeling of togetherness there. So I was envious of that. I was jealous of that. And um, it just goes to show that when you've got an owner who cares, you can achieve things. And and Brendan Rodgers said it post-match. He said that uh, for Leicester City, their success is competing. But if they have a good day, they know they're good enough to win. And that's exactly what they did yesterday. Touching on kind of the game itself, um, first of all, it was great to see fans in the stadium. Fantastic, really was. You know, look, look, as someone who works as a commentator, it's been quite tough throughout the season because there have been a lot of games where there's been zero intensity, largely due to the fact that there is no crowd. There, With no crowd, you don't see teams sort of pushing late on in games. You see teams a lot more sort of content with playing out results as they are, if you like. You know, for example, you're away from home, you're nil-nil. You're you haven't got that crowd roaring you on to go and nick that winning goal. And everybody seems to just settle that little bit easier. The atmosphere seemed really good um, on the television. I, I only watched it on the television, but the atmosphere seemed seemed really good. Um, I think that, as, as, as I say, as a commentator, having the fake crowd effects throughout the lockdown has helped because it has brought a bit of authenticity or, or no authenticity is the wrong word. It's been a bit of, it's been a compensator or compensation for a lack of authenticity in terms of the atmosphere. I think as a commentator, it's difficult to kind of raise your tone when the stadium is dead and nothing is going on. So when you've got the fake crowd effects, it helps you try and close, bridge the gap and make it a little bit better and a better listening experience. But actually having the people in the ground is a completely different kettle of fish. The fake crowd sounds don't go off when someone makes a, a horrible challenge. They don't go off to try and get somebody booked. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's been, you know, it, it was just incredibly amazing to see the difference between the two again and why we love having crowds in the stadium. I know some people in the chat and have not been big fans of the fake noises. I think as from my perspective as a commentator, I've needed it. Um, but I appreciate it's no way near uh, as good as having the real thing. And we had the real thing. I think there was around about 22,000 fans in the stadium yesterday in response to uh, Ray Anderson's question. Uh, which was great. Obviously, at Wembley, you can do that. Bigger stadium, you can you can put more people in there and you can keep them uh, sort of separated to a degree as well. But it was good that they kind of kept them all in the similar areas of the stadium as opposed to like putting some in the upper tier and some in the, down, in the lower tiers because what it does is if you do that, it makes it very difficult to create an atmosphere. An atmosphere needs to be made by a crowd um, rather than, a load of people inside the same building, but a million miles away. So yeah, um, that was brilliant. And in terms of the actual game itself, I actually thought that Thomas Tuchel got it wrong. I, I really do. And and I've been hugely um, 
sort of impressed by Thomas Tuchel's time at Chelsea so far. But I really do think he got it wrong. And I'm kind of just to touch on some of the things I think he made a mistake on. I mean, I know Kep has been the FA Cup goalkeeper um, for Chelsea. And I get that, you know, Thomas Tuchel is not the only coach that would have stuck with him. Does he does does Mendy save that shot from Tielemans? I'm not taking anything away from Tielemans' strike. To pop up and to do something so sensational in an FA Cup final is unbelievable. And it was a goal well worthy of winning the trophy. But does Edouard Mendy, who's a little bit taller than Kepa, reach that and get something on it? And, and I asked the question because I've seen a lot of Chelsea fans asking the question post-match. Let me know in the chat. Does Edouard Mendy save Yuri Tillemans' shot? Or was it that good? Was it that unstoppable? that nobody saves it. Don't know. Don't know. Um, you look at the re remainder of his team selection. I wasn't surprised to see Timo Werner starting up top. Uh, Timo Werner has, uh, you know, often started for Thomas Tuchel in the big games. I think what he does is he gives them an ability to play the ball in behind his pace, his movement, uh, and his kind of build-up play is is really impressive. It's just the fact with Timo Werner that he's just not been able to finish anywhere near as regularly as he'd have liked. And I actually do believe that Timo Werner probably goes on to have a really good season next year because I do think there's a player there. I've initially, you know, when I was watching him at the start of the season, I kept looking at him and going, I'm not sure about this guy. I wasn't really sure about him during his time at RB Leipzig Evo, if I'm honest. But Watching Chelsea quite a bit recently, I've, I've I've commentated on a few Chelsea games. So I've really been focused. You can see why Thomas Tuchel persists with him because the movement, the build-up play, as I say, his ability to link up with others, and the the fact that he's capable of running the channels, and and once he turns on the burners, can pretty much roast anyone. Um, it is wise in the side. So I didn't really have an issue with that. I was surprised to see Hakeem Ziyech starting in the team. He's not really been a regular starter in the Premier League for Chelsea of late. And I was surprised that he was in the side. I was also incredibly surprised. And this was probably the biggest one for me, that Marcus Alonso played instead of Ben Chilwell. Um, I thought when Chilwell came on, he had an impact in the game. And obviously he had that goal chalked off. Um, and, and, you know, obviously he was probably bloody disappointed about it. But... Yeah, it just, uh, for me, I, I thought that Thomas Tuchel shuffled the pack a few too many times. I wonder if Thomas Tuchel, you know, might have done things differently had Arsenal not beaten them in midweek. And then now their Champions League position also being, you know, at risk. Had Chelsea won against Arsenal on Wednesday, perhaps they'd have been a little bit more relaxed going into the Leicester League game on Tuesday. And then you might not have seen so much tinkering ahead of the cup final. I don't know. It's difficult to tell because you don't really know with Thomas Tuchel because he's made so many changes so frequently. You know, he was asked if the team that he selected today was partly because of what happened against Arsenal midweek. And he said, partly yes, partly no. So I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. And then, of course, you talk about Leicester City and, and Leicester City, you know, they've been playing in this back three this season with, with Fofana. Evans, Sionchu, 
selected to start. Of course, they lost Johnny Evans after around about half an hour. And Johnny Evans is is majorly important to them. I, I commentated on their game against Newcastle. Uh, when was it? Not last week, the week before. And, you know, they lost Johnny Evans in the warm-up and they were just completely dismantled by Steve Bruce's Newcastle United. So I did fear the worst. Um for Leicester when I saw Johnny Evans go off. I really, really did. And Chelsea had the majority of the play and Chelsea had more attempts at goal. And we'll come on to look at the stats in a minute. But Leicester City remained compact. They played with the back three, Castagna, Tielemans and Dini and Thomas across the midfield. Castagna dropped uh, in when Evans went off. And then, um, of course, all Brighton came on. But Fofana, for me, really stepped up. He's been brilliant. He's been really good. And... It's a strange one, right? Because when we signed William Saliba, there was obviously he and Fofana had played together at St. Etienne. And there was quite a lot of talk about what a wonderful player we'd signed in William Saliba. And the general consensus was that he was better than Wesley Fofana. Fast forward and Wesley Fofana's doing it in the Premier League. He's done it in an FA Cup final. And all the time, William Saliba is sitting out on loan at Nice with all due respect and it's it's just not the same level. So yeah, it's been um it's been uh, sort of surprising actually to see Fofana take to it so well and then it kind of as a result of that makes you wonder whether we made a mistake letting Saliba go out on loan and and really not placing any trust in him. Up top for Leicester it was Kelechi Iheanacho and and Jamie Vardy, Lucas Perez, Lucas Perez, Iozi Perez got my Arsenal hat on. Iozi Perez. Uh, played in between them, uh, sort of just behind them, deeper. And Leicester have done this a lot lately. Ian Atro and Vardy up top together. Ian Atro has been in, in excellent form. Vardy, we know what he brings to the table, uh, normally brings goals and obviously brings that ability to run in behind and stretch defences. It's funny, though, because I don't think Jamie Vardy enjoys playing in this front two anywhere near as much as he enjoys playing as the lone front man. But Kelechi Ian Atro's form for Leicester has been so good you couldn't take him out. You know, you you really couldn't. Like, he, he's just been brilliant. He's been a, a real breath of fresh air for them. And then, of course, you know, Leicester got their goal through that. Tielemans won the strike. I can see most of you disagree with me that Mendy, about Mendy maybe saving it. I did say maybe because I'm, I'm not sure either. I just thought it's a question worth asking. Um, but then, of course, having got that goal, they had to dig deep and they had to really defend. And Wes Morgan came on and made a couple of vital sort of contributions. Kasper Schmeichel was in inspired form. He made two really, really good saves, I thought, um, to deny Chelsea. And then Chelsea get that goal. Chelsea get that goal on, what, the 90th minute? It was really late in the game. I think it might have been in stoppage time. Just trying to think. Uh, does it say it here? No, it doesn't. Uh, maybe it says it in the... Um, in the uh, in the actual text, yeah, following the last minute goal mouth scramble, uh, ruled out by the barest of margins following the intervention of VAR. Look, a lot of people hate VAR, right? And a lot of people criticize it. And I completely agree that VAR has some problems, has some issues that need to be addressed. However, that decision was correct. I, I can't get around. I can't get my head around those. And and they, most of them have been Chelsea fans, as you'd expect. Jumping on social media, claiming, claiming that that decision was wrong. It was absolutely right. And that is why VAR has been brought in 
for the big moments when it really, really matters. And it really, really did matter because I'll tell you what, had Chelsea equalised at that point, Leicester would have been deflated and you'd have backed Chelsea to go on and win the cup. So for Leicester City, VAR has come to the rescue. And for football, VAR has come to the rescue because in the biggest games, the cup finals, the title deciders, you want the decisions to be, for the most part, accurate. And that was absolutely accurate. It was absolutely accurate. Um, you know, that the, the decision to rule him as offside. He was offside. The goal didn't stand as a result. And there you go. Maybe some people would say it's the rub of the green uh, for Leicester City. But I, I would disagree because the decision was correct. And it's their right in an FA Cup final to, to be given the right decision. I've slagged off Brendan Rodgers quite a bit over the years. And I know I'm going to get sticked the next time I won 90 min uh, because he's obviously won uh, the FA Cup now. And listen, fair play to Brendan Rodgers. My biggest gripe with him and biggest criticism of him was always that he'd get you to a certain point, raise the level of expectation and then wasn't or hadn't proven himself to be able to actually get over the line and actually deliver, whether that be qualification for the Champions League or whether that be silverware. Now, regardless of whether Leicester go on and finish in the top four, which I'm sure they'd love to do, regardless of, of that, their season would have been a success now because they have obviously, um, you know, they've obviously won the FA Cup and, and kind of what more do you want? So, uh, yeah, fair play to Brendan Rodgers. He, he's got over the line. He's done it. And because he's done it, um, you know, you, that that kind of criticism, that talk about, uh, you know, him failing to get over the line, we have to, we have to be fair on that. We have to be fair on that. Um, if I've criticised him for not getting over the line before and he's gotten over the line, then great. You know, congratulations to him. And uh, he deserves the success because what he hasn't done with this Leicester side is great. But greatness only comes when you get over the line. And on this occasion, they've got over the line. So fair play to them. Uh, I can see lots of you in the chat are talking about Fabrizio Romano right now. Uh, he's apparently just put a tweet out with regards to the future of Willian. And we'll talk a little bit about that in more detail on the next show because we'll be doing another one. Uh, live this evening. There'll be a number of topics we'll be discussing on that one as well. Uh, but before I go, let me share uh, that tweet with you uh, from Fabrizio Romano um, with regards to Willian's future. Let's have a look. So here is what he's had to say. Uh, Fabrizio Romano says, after David Luiz, also Willian is expected to leave Arsenal this summer. There's interest from European clubs and from the MLS into Miami wanted him last summer, but Arsenal are now waiting for official bids. I can imagine there's going to be a party uh, from some if um, if uh, Willian does indeed leave. Uh, he's not been a success at Arsenal. There's no getting away from that. I'll hold my hands up at the time. I thought it was a, a smart signing, one with relatively little risk. Wasn't quite sure about the whole three-year contract thing, but it was done. Um, but yeah, Willian, according to Fabrizio Romano, is expected, and that's the word he uses, expected to leave Arsenal this summer. But he does also highlight that no bids have come in just yet. So we'll uh, we'll discuss that tonight in more detail on our second podcast 
of the day. Uh, so come over and check that out. If you're listening via the audio, then that will be out first thing on Monday morning. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Yeah, um, interesting stuff. I, I, I get the feeling like it's going to be a really interesting summer. Um, fingers crossed it ends the way we want it to end, but with the Euros as well and Arsenal trying to have this, you know, create this complete sort of makeover behind the scenes of the squad. I think there's going to be a lot of news, a lot of links, and, and we're going to keep you across all of it right here, of course, on the Chronicles of Aguna. Just a quick reminder that this show is sponsored by Manscaped.com. Uh, so for all your male grooming needs, head over to Manscaped.com, enter your discount code, which is 90min20, and you'll get 20% off of your order as well as free worldwide shipping. What more do you want? With lockdown coming to an end, you need to address that area, especially if you're going to go out on the pool. So get involved. Manscaped.com. Highly recommend the lawnmower 3.0. Check it out. Anti, uh, what's the word? Clipping technology, i.e. it doesn't clip your balls and cause bloodshed. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> you get what I mean. Check it out. Head over manscaped.com and enter the discount code. As I say, 90 min 20 for 20% off as well as free shipping. We are going to leave it there. We're going to save the Willian chat for later. We're going to be discussing Willian's future on the next edition of the podcast. Make sure your notifications are turned on uh, for that. Let's have a look where we are in terms of likes. I should have done this earlier on so that I could prompt you or remind you uh, to hit the like button if you hadn't done so already. Let me see where we are at currently, though. Um, there's over 100 of you watching us right now. We've only got 44 likes, though. Let's at least get that up to 65 by the time the outro rolls. As I say, I'll be back later on. We'll talk Willian uh, tonight and uh, whatever else you guys want to talk about. Big hello to everybody in the live chat. Ciao to everybody in the live chat. I know some of you have just joined. That's why I'm saying hello at the end of the show. I know it sounds weird, but there you go. Uh, I'll catch you all this evening for another stream and we'll be touching on some of um, the other stories around the world of football as well, following some, some games that are coming today, uh, as well as, of course, bringing you up to date on the biggest Arsenal news. And we'll be talking, of course, about Fabrizio Romano's claim regarding Willian. So until then, take care. Ciao. Smash the like button. Subscribe to the channel if you're new, and I'll catch you all very soon. Until then, bye-bye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.